0: Welcome to the KPMG Financial Reporting Podcast Series, delivering fresh insights and perspectives around major accounting and financial reporting developments across a range of timely topics. We thank you for joining today. I'm Angie Storm. I'm a partner in KPMG's Department of Professional Practice. We're going to kick things off talking about what's going on at the SEC. I'm really excited to welcome Paul Munter. Paul is the Chief Accountant for the Office of the Chief Accountant at the SEC. As the Chief Accountant, Paul serves as the Principal Advisor to the Commission on Accounting and Auditing Matters. And he also assists the Commission in discharging its oversight of the FASB and the PCAOB. Paul joined OCA as a Deputy Chief Accountant for International Activities back in 2019. And prior to joining the staff, he was a Professor of Accounting at University of Miami and a National Office Partner at KPMG. Welcome, Paul.
1: Thanks, Angie. Very nice to be with you. Thank you for inviting me. First thing I have to tell you is, as you just said, I'm here in my role as a chief accountant at the SEC, and anything that I offer in the way of views are my own. don't necessarily represent those of the commission, any of our commissioners, or other members of the SEC staff.
0: Thanks, Paul. All right, well, we're going to just jump right in. Why don't we go ahead and get started with some of the current OCA priorities and hot topics? Paul, can you maybe comment on what? where OCA's focus has been recently, and maybe touch on some of the rising areas of interest you've been seeing in consultations? Sure,
1: happy to, Angie. And I think a little level setting is probably helpful, a lot of which is kind of what you were teeing up in your introductory remarks. Our role in the SEC is really focused on doing what we can to drive high-quality financial reporting and high-quality audits of financial statement information. And so we work with the other divisions within the agency as they conduct filing reviews and other activities. We work proactively with stakeholders across the spectrum to understand what are the needs of investors, how can those needs be better served, and what kinds of things can be done from a reporting perspective to improve the quality of the information that investors receive. And so we're really kind of, always thinking about it through that lens is what is it that can be done and what can we do to support improvements in information that investors are receiving. And I think you touched on one of the really key aspects that I think it is really useful to think about financial reporting as a communication activity. Now there's obviously compliance is a part of that. and That includes compliance with the accounting standards, with our rules and the like. But it really needs to be looked at through the lens of communication. How is it that companies can take what is a number of transactions events, sometimes can be very complex transactions events, apply accounting standards apply SEC rules but do so in a manner that actually conveys the underlying economics of those in an understandable and transparent way to investors. So that's kind of our starting point in everything that we do, which of course is in support of the SEC's three-part mission with high quality financial reporting and high quality audits being at the core of it. In terms of what are the current priorities, what are the current hot buttons? There's a lot of things that are going on and that have been going on over the last couple of years, but probably right now is an overarching trend is there's a high degree of uncertainty in the economic environment. We've been dealing with a period of volatility in exchange rates, commodity prices, rising interest rates, for example, and other uncertainties that might be either economic or political. And so one of the things that does is it means there's a need for increased focus on transparency around things like estimation uncertainties, where there's a greater degree of uncertainty in the environment, the range of what might be reasonable estimates can be broadened by that. And while it's still up to management to make a best estimate, it also might require additional context in terms of how is that best estimate derived? What are the key assumptions and inputs to that? What is the degree of uncertainty associated with that? And it also puts a obviously heightened responsibility on auditors to make sure that they are objective and impartial in their evaluation of management's processes, the reasonableness of estimates and the like. Certainly recent events over the past couple of months have increased awareness about robustness of going concern assessments and disclosures around not just going concerns, but what you might call close call circumstances. And what are some of management's key plans in that process? And I think the other overarching issue is I think a lot of the circumstances we've seen in the last few months have underscored the need for not only management to have a very robust risk assessment process but to make sure that the risk assessment process is linked to financial reporting and internal control effectiveness that while risk Mm -hmm. assessment is certainly critical to managing the business and dealing with business risk a lot of those will have financial reporting consequences including potential for disclosure and so It really underscores the need for very robust risk assessment by management and auditors doing a very robust risk assessment and making sure that their procedures are responsive to the risks that have been identified. And so we've certainly spent a lot of time on issues like those in the last several weeks. Now, in terms of more technical accounting topics, and as you're touching upon themes coming out of consultation trends, I think that the topics of consultations are similar to what we've seen in the past. A lot of questions still on revenue recognition issues in terms of Mm -hmm. identification of performance obligations, principal versus agent evaluations being probably the most common ones that we continue to see. We see a number of consolidation issues, some of which are perhaps a bit more challenging because of some of these uncertainties that exist out there in the environment and the like. And we continue to see a number of crypto-related questions as kind of the next iteration of a crypto structure continues to evolve. We continue to see questions on that front as well. So those are probably the top-of-mind things that we're dealing with at the moment, AJ.
0: At it. Thanks, Paul. I wanted to go back. You talked about risk assessment, and that certainly has been a huge discussion topic for auditors, like our profession, management, audit committees. And I know that you, Paul, and a lot of the commissioners and other staff really do have focused quite a bit on the importance of high quality audits, auditor independence. Maybe talk about that for a little bit, but maybe from the perspective of the audit committee's responsibilities.
1: Yeah, happy to. First of all, having a, a high quality and effective functioning audit committee in place is really one of the sea changes that came out of Sarbanes-Oxley. That empowers audit committees with responsibility for engaging audit firms, evaluating the quality of the audit work, providing for robust dialogue between the auditors and the audit committee, making sure that management is being open, transparent in discussions with the independent auditors. So the audit committee plays a really critical role in the financial reporting process and is a really important gatekeeper. And I think audit committees need to understand what is it that Auditors are worried about. You, know, you talk about the auditors' starts with the audit process starts with a risk assessment undertaking to identify what are the key areas where there is risk of material misstatement. And I think importantly, the auditor's responsibility is to obtain reasonable assurance that the financial statements are free from material misstatement, whether caused by error or fraud. And so Obviously, the fraud risk assessment is a very important part of the auditor's risk assessment process to identify fraud risk, make sure that the procedures are responsive to those fraud risks and the like. And I think having a really good dialogue with the audit committee about what are the risks that the auditor sees, comparing so the audit committee can, I'll call it do comparison, right? The audit committee should be having transparent dialogue with the external auditor, transparent dialogue with management controllership function, internal audit. And one of the things the audit committee should be asking itself is, well, am I hearing the same thing as I engage with all of these parties? And if I'm not, why is that? And what does that tell me about where there are some risks that either haven't been identified or haven't been properly addressed? and so there's a focus on what those key risk areas are. The Audit Committee also wants to understand what is, to use a tried-truth term, the tone at the top. How serious is management about its responsibility for financial reporting and implementing and maintaining an effective system of internal control over financial reporting? And so the Audit Committee should make sure that it is engaging regularly in dialogue with the external auditor, oftentimes in what they call it executive session or what have you, but out of the ears of management. So they get a perhaps a more open discussion with the auditor. And then how does that compare with other information audit committees are receiving through communication with management, internal audit, etc., so that the audit committee can be part of the process of driving improvements in the quality of financial reporting and the quality of the audit team. I think one of the other things that audit committees ought to be evaluating as they're thinking about the audit quality is not only what's going on with the audit firm in terms of things like inspection results from PCOB inspections, but also what's going on at the engagement team level. Have there been changes in the composition of key members of engagement teams? Have there been stresses on the amount of time that engagement team members have available? Are there resource challenges that the audit firm has and the like? And that should be all part of the audit committee's understanding and evaluation of the performance of the independent auditor.
0: It's interesting, Paul. The audit committee really is in a very unique position as you said to sort of triangulate risk assessment between management and internal audit and external audit so it is a unique place to be in sort of a critical juncture to be able to compare the views of risk assessment relative to all of those groups I thought I might just switch gears here a little bit Paul and talk a little bit about OCA's role in the oversight of the FASB standard setting process I'm not sure everybody sort of understands how the SEC and the FASB engage with one another. So can you maybe talk a little bit about that relationship?
1: Yeah, happy to, Angie. And as as you all know, back in 2003, the SEC recognized the FASB as standard center for purposes of establishing accounting standards that are generally accepted under the federal securities law. But that requires a balance while We certainly value an independent standard setting process and the FASB's independence is important to the development of high quality accounting standards. Independence does not mean lack of oversight, that we have a very important oversight responsibility relative to the FASB to ensure that they remain focused on developing standards that are going to drive improvements in the quality of information that investors receive. And so we, we have a number of touch points with the FASB to help in that process. So obviously we get a lot of information, whether it's through consultations, engagements with investors and investor advocates and the like about what are the priorities, what are the areas where there could be improvements in either the accounting standards or the interpretive guidance around this. We certainly engage very proactively in dialogue with the FASB and staff to understand what their priorities are, what kind of input they are getting, how that input factors into their decision-making process, and how they are scoping projects in a manner that will achieve a successful outcome in a reasonable period of time. And we've written about this a couple of times in the last several months that I think the FASB over the last couple of years has done a really, I think, really good job of going through extensive outreach in this agenda consultation process, including very proactive outreach with investors. They have, I think, assimilated the input they have gotten. They went through a process of reprioritizing their agenda, rescoping. A number of projects, so that projects that had been sitting on their agenda for a number of years without a lot of progress, we're seeing, I think, some really tangible consequences of that effort with a number of exposure drafts that have been issued or soon will be issued. That it is an ongoing process. It's not like, you know, we have something at X point, it's a continual dialogue with the FASB and their staff understanding what their priorities are, what their perspectives are, what they're hearing, sharing with them what we are hearing and um, trying to ensure that they are focused on developing standards that will result in meaningful improvements to the information that investors receive. Well, thank you, Paul. I have kind of an odd
0: question, but I wanted to finish up and just get your perspective, because you've got a really unique perspective on this as well, given your history as a professor. Certainly right now, as a moment in time, there is just so much transformation going on. Advanced technology, AI, hybrid work environments, ESG. I would just love your thoughts on how you feel the profession can keep pace with the changing times, and actually also continue to attract and retain the new and diverse talent we really we really need.
1: You know, one of the things that I have always enjoyed about being in this profession is a part of being an accounting professional is a commitment to lifelong learning. Right? I mean, the story I tell people is, if I knew today what I knew when I passed the CPA exam, you know, 135 years ago, I probably wouldn't be all that useful to folks. So it's a commitment to lifelong learning that is actually very exciting. And I think a number of these things that you were describing are certainly very dynamic elements of the marketplace today. But to me, they represent really great opportunities. The profession, I don't think, has done the greatest job of telling its story about the value proposition we bring to capital formation and economic growth, to the opportunities that the profession provides for people, not only early in careers, but throughout careers and the like, and the opportunity to get involved in so many different things. So to me, these are just continuation of the process that has existed forever, granted the pace of change has certainly picked up, there's no doubt about that. But to me, I think it is something that we ought to be capitalizing on in telling the story about what great opportunities there are for accounting professionals and how it is such a satisfying and meaningful career for those that embrace the opportunity to engage in lifelong learning and be able to continue to contribute to overall economic growth.
0: Well, that's great, thanks, Paul. You're a great ambassador and a great salesman of the professions. So uh, well, Paul, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been such a treat to work with you. Your ability and willingness to share with us what's going on at the SEC is very much appreciated. And I also just appreciate you helping to put our profession in the proper context of how. We support the capital markets. It's really important to remember that every day. So, Paul, thanks again so much for being here. My pleasure, Angie. Thank you for listening to this KPMG Financial Reporting Podcast. For more in-depth financial reporting developments, analysis, and podcast episodes, please visit frv.kpmg.us and be sure to subscribe today. Also, we're social. You can also follow us on LinkedIn at KPMG Financial Reporting View or with hashtag KPMGFRV.